this is an infinite game that you're playing where the object being that it is an infinite game is just to keep the game going. There are no winners and losers. It's just, can you keep this game of life going? I'm not trying to be morbid here, but like the ultimate outcome in our life is death. That's it. You know, and that's why people want to go out and travel. This is why people want to go out and explore the world and, and they want to find meaning in their life. They want to play that infinite game, but a lot of times people end up scared to do that. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 420. The highest point in the contiguous U.S., Mount Whitney, is only 76 miles from the lowest point in the contiguous U.S., Death Valley, and they're both in California. I guess you really do have it all, California. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London afternoon. If you feel your Dublin heart is burning, yeah, well, you don't have to worry, cause we're going in soon. Well, you don't Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who spent many years covering the NBA, attended Justin Bieber's 21st birthday party, and who left it all behind in 2016 to travel the world and has been on a whirlwind tour since then, John Santiago, freelance writer and publisher of original content at Santiago.space. John, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Thank you. That is uh that was a pretty good intro, man. Like the NBA and then the the Justin Bieber name <laughs> pretty that's pretty good, man. I appreciate it. Hey, digging up all the dirt on you, my friend, and uh I'm super excited to chat with you today and you are somewhere pretty cool. Like when you came on, not that this is a video podcast and no one else will see this, but you came on and I just see this like soundproof room behind you. So fill everyone in real quick. Where are you right now? Yeah, so I'm actually sitting in a in one of three Skype booths here at uh, Dojo Co-working Space in Changu, Bali. So I actually I'm here in Southeast Asia. Um, I got here to Bali about a week and a half ago, and I'm gonna be here for an extended period of time. Um, I've, I've been in Southeast Asia now for a little more than uh, I think a month and a half or so. I spent a month in Vietnam. I was in Saigon. Um, in District 2, uh, staying out there. And then I had a, a week layover in Kuala Lumpur um, and got to check that out and everything. And, you know, my basically my my main destination here in Southeast Asia was to come here in Bali because I've heard so much about it. A friend of mine, actually, I was asking, I was, Travis, I was asking her last year because I was thinking about where I wanted to go next. Um you know, after traveling to a couple different places in 2018, and she was like, you should go to Bali because there's a lot of people who are doing what you're trying to do. They're working online, they're working remotely. Um, and there's like a pretty big community for that. So why don't you try it? So I was like, all right, why don't I do that? So here I am. Yeah, I mean, I've got a pretty good life, man. But anytime I talk to anyone or see on Instagram or Facebook, people in Southeast Asia, 
especially places I've been, whether it be Bali or Thailand, I just, I, I don't want to say I'm jealous because I, I'm happy. I guess I'm just happy that they're there because I know how happy it makes me to be there. And it it's just such a neat, neat place. Like it's still to this day, if I'm looking at regions, it's probably my favorite region in the world when you put everything together and you just talk about how comfortable it can be and how nice the people are. And obviously there's amazing, you know, things to visit and the beaches are great and all that stuff. And the vibe is great. As you talk about with like other entrepreneurs, I just, it almost feels, and this is weird because I haven't ever lived there for an extended period of time, but it almost feels when I talk to people who are there, I, it feels like home. Like I can picture like you're at Dojo. I know right. I've never been to that co-work space, but I know right where you are. You you'll probably go to a boot at some point, and I can just feel myself there, which is which is cool. I can't do that. I don't think every other place that I've been. I think for some reason Southeast Asia, and probably the reasons we just talked about, it it I can honestly feel being there when I get to chat with you. So yeah, man, thanks for bringing me on the journey a little bit. Yeah, you you know what else too I'd like to add as well, Travis. For me, it's pretty fascinating. Like just my whole journey when I reflect back on just my travels throughout my life. I didn't really start traveling until three years ago. And I'm 32. You know, I'm not I'm not like many people who start traveling at a very young age. Um, I kind of did it at the end of my 20s. Um, and the first place that the first region in the world that I went to was Europe. I had a large fascination with, with going there uh, to that part of the world. And then after that, I kind of had a fascination with, with Latin America. And last year, I spent about five months in, in Colombia. And I also had visited Costa Rica and spent, some, spent a, you know, a brief layover, but long enough to, to hang out with some people in Guadalajara, Mexico, on the way to Costa Rica in late uh, 2017. But I never... And it's interesting when I when I think about it because I am Filipino American, and I I never had like the like coming to Southeast Asia was not it wasn't at the top of my list surprisingly as far as places to go. But when you talk about like feeling at home here in this part of the world, and when I've come here, I I actually went to the Philippines after Colombia in November for the first time in twenty years. I hadn't been back to the Philippines since I was a teenager. And when I went back there, I had a greater appreciation for it. And like, I feel that way in general, being in this part of the world, um, you know, I've gotten to meet some cool people who are like me, who are also Asian American that have kind of done a reverse immigration thing, right? Like their parents came to the United States to provide a better life for them in the U S and then now they've taken what they've learned in the U.S. and they're bringing it back to their parents' homeland. Um, and, and so I kind of feel that kind of vibe, too, although, you know, I'm not Indonesian, but just being in this part of the world, it does feel like home for me. I feel a little bit more comfortable here than I have in other places that I've visited. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I do, too. And as you were talking, I was thinking... Was it because maybe for me, that was my first, I, I guess it wasn't really, like I was going to say my first real experience backpacking. Now, I did live in Switzerland for a bit. Um, that that was really cool. But our first real backpacking. 
backpacking experiences was when Heather and I lived in Japan and then went through Southeast Asia. And then we did it a few times over the two years that we were in Japan. And then, and then we came back once after that. And, and I don't think it is that it was that first experience. I think it is just, as you mentioned, the area itself feeling very comfortable, very easy, very welcoming. And I love the idea that you brought up with the fact that a lot of people's families and, and your family as well, like you said, moved to America for hopes of a better life, got to achieve that, got you know everything that was good about moving to America, you got to experience. And now you do see so many people finding other parts of the world that fit well for them like that for and and as we talk about you know your journey and digital nomads and people who are location independent a lot of times that is going to a place like southeast asia because the opportunity there is greater because it is cheaper but you can still live such an incredible life and have these experiences you can just do it in a much cheaper way so i never really thought of this reverse immigration thing of hey someone's parents moved here so that they could make more money, have more opportunity. Now people might be coming back to certain areas that are cheaper because that's giving them better opportunity. Yeah, no, it's, I, I met actually a really fascinating woman in, in Saigon. Uh, she's from Houston, actually. And she, she worked in marketing in, in New York for many years after she graduated from college. And, and then she moved to Singapore for an opportunity out there. Um, and then eventually she got offered another opportunity in marketing in Saigon. But one of her passions is cooking. And so she became, she's actually now working as a chef in Saigon. She's not even, she's not even um, trained. Uh, she wasn't even trained at a culinary school or anything like that. She's self-taught and she's an amazing chef. Actually, I've eaten her food. So you know, um, and, and it's, it's awesome. Like she, she has this opportunity there to run a kitchen. Right. And I think some people traditionally might say, well, you didn't pay your dues or anything like that, but she's kind of, she's still kind of learning from that experience that she has out there now in Vietnam. And, you know, it, it may work out well for her. It may, may not turn out what she, what she hopes, but She's she's got an opportunity to to learn something there that, you know, she wouldn't have in the U. There's there's no way that she would have that same kind of opportunity in New York. I mean, let's compare cities here like New York and Saigon. Saigon is is the hub for a lot of innovation in in Vietnam. And and um, and so, you know, just to think that she has that opportunity there in like the homeland of her parents and her family. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really neat. And it's a it's a good point that there is opportunity not just in the digital world of, hey, I'm moving here to work online, maybe make US dollars or, you know, make a currency that that is more valuable than the local currency, but live cheaper because it is a cheaper place, but that there is opportunity even on the ground to work for a company in in a region or or as she does in a restaurant, you know, some sort of uh, mention uh, place that you mentioned, like, yeah, you're not going to New York and walk in and be like, hey, I really like cooking. So uh, give me my own kitchen. Like you're going to spend years and years and years working your way up. And that's fine. But here she can go after a passion a little bit easier. And that's not to say everyone can, but it's 
a fascinating thing that in one generation there might be a shift back or there is a shift back to to more opportunities being available in certain ways in places like Southeast Asia. When you first started traveling in, in 2016, you mentioned, hey, I, I'm not someone who's traveled a lot before this. You know, you had some different jobs. We'll get into those. But why was it that you decided that you wanted to travel? Like after not having done it, what was it about this idea of going somewhere new that was enticing to you? So, like you said, I didn't really travel that much before that point. Um, I did weekend trips and, and things like that, uh, kind of just like the traditional, let's fit it in when the time allots, you know, American way of, of traveling. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think like many people, I'm sure many people who listen to your podcast have read this book. Um, but I, I read the book Vagabonding by Rolf Potts, uh, recommended by Tim Ferriss. And I read it actually like a couple years before I went on that trip. And that kind of planted the seed in me that, oh man, I should do this. Cause I was already, I was already kind of interested in travel, you know, watching, I watched a lot of travel channel when I was in my early twenties, watching like no reservations with Anthony Bourdain and, and bizarre foods with Andrew Zimmern. And, and I always loved to see like the conversations that they would have with, with the locals and the people of the countries that they were visiting. And I, I thought like, you know, as an alternative to, to my career, what I eventually ended up getting into that, that was something that I could do myself. Um, but, you know, I, I read that book and, you know, I, it planted the seed, the idea of like, Oh, maybe I should travel. Um, and I was on the verge of actually doing it a lot sooner. Um, it just so happened. I was thinking about, leaving and traveling around maybe 2014 or so. Um, Cause I was already getting tired from my, my gig working, covering the NBA as a, as a sports journalist, sports blogger. Um, and, but I got an opportunity to move to Las Vegas. I was offered a job to work for a nightlife company, you know, talk about like complete 180, right. From working in, in the NBA to working in, you know, these exclusive nightclubs in Las Vegas. And you don't strike um, me as a nightclub type person. Now, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I've just, and we've met in person in Philadelphia. So maybe I've just met the older, more mature John Santiago, but it doesn't seem to me like that'd be something that you were going after working in high end nightclubs and working for high end nightclubs. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I don't really go out to nightclubs <laughs> anymore at this stage of my life, but you know, it's all kind of connected. Right. So as I mentioned, I, and you mentioned in my intro, I covered the NBA for many years. I got my start, my career started there. I was an intern for the Sacramento Kings uh, in their digital department. I mean, I was there back in the day when they started their Twitter account and now they have one of the most, you know, uh, quote unquote fire Twitter accounts in all the professional sports shout out to my my friends and former colleagues there who are doing we're still doing great work um but you know covering the nba some of the travel that i did get to do was involved with the league and during the summers you know this being an nba fan they have nba summer league in las vegas so i would go uh, from 2012, basically up until I moved to Las Vegas, I went to Las Vegas to go cover NBA Summer League. 
Um, and, and, you know, before I went there, I kind of was like, well, what's all the hype about Las Vegas? You know, I live in Northern California. You could go to Lake Tahoe and go to these nightclubs. What's the, what's the difference with Las Vegas? And then I get to Las Vegas and I go to these nightclubs and I'm like, oh, I see why now people like these places. And I get it. It's not for everybody. But, you know, the experience that you do get in these venues, um, you know, the, at, at the Wynn and Encore, they have Excess Nightclub. At MGM Grand, the company that I work for, they have Hakkasan Nightclub. At Caesars Palace, there's Omnia Nightclub. These are, you know, opulent, you know, experiences that people get to have. And and when I went, I I, I I enjoyed it. Also, I was still in my 20s. You know, I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed getting to go out, obviously go out and potentially meet some nice women and have some drinks and things like that. And so that that kind of appealed to me. And when the opportunity arose to have a job in that industry, um, not necessarily working at the nightclub, because I actually worked in the office of the company uh, that I worked for. So I worked the normal night. It was odd. I was working a nine to five job in an industry that's basically, you know, happening on the weekends. Yeah, at the starts night. at 1 a.m., right? Like the, the, the yeah, party. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were on the non non sexy side of the nightclub business at that point. Exactly. Like we, you know, we come in at nine, ten o'clock, work until six and, and work on our, our marketing strategies and plans. I've worked in the digital department, but you know, there were times when I had to go to the venues. I handled actually uh my main account was was Wet Republic, <laughs> the the pool party at MGM Grand. So the upside to that was I didn't have to stay up super late at night. You know, I had colleagues who had to go to Hakkasan or Omnia nightclub and, and, and do marketing activations at, you know, midnight, one o'clock, one thirty. my activations, what I had to do were usually at like one thirty, two o'clock PM in the day on the weekends. So at least I was able to get my sleep in that part. So it was definitely something that like appealed to me. I was, I was like, this is, you know, this, this will be fun. And it was also kind of related too. you know, I go from being in the NBA covering and talking to guys like LeBron James, um, Kobe Bryant and press scrums post game um, to then having to speak to high profile DJs like Calvin Harris or Tiesto or Martin Garrix. They're all celebrities, you know, and I, I had that experience of knowing how to deal with, those kinds of personalities. So it was all kind of connected in, in, in some way, shape or form. So what then was the bigger highlight working, getting published on ESPN.com or hanging out with Biebs for his 21st birthday? What looking back on that part of your life, what do you like? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is cooler. I would say covering the NBA was, was, was a huge highlight. It was probably, it was probably more meaningful, honestly, because at the time when I covered the league, um, you know, the Sacramento Kings, the, the team that I mentioned, I spent so much time with and t- time around, they, they actually tried moving a couple different times. They, they, the, the owners tried to move them to Anaheim. Um, and then they eventually uh, had an agreement to sell them to an ownership group in Seattle. And they were going to bring back the Seattle Supersonics. So it was like this three-year period of like, will they or won't they stay in Sacramento? And it was really cool to see the community and the city 
all of the fans, um, the politicians, you know, at the time, the mayor of Sacramento was a former NBA all-star, Kevin Johnson. One of my favorite players of all time. Yes. And so he, he definitely played a major role in, in, in helping keep the team there in Sacramento. And so reporting on that story to me was, was pretty meaningful just because, you know, a lot of the stuff that myself and my former colleague would write about, you know, we, some of this stuff had an impact, you know, we, we knew like if we wrote something and we put it out there, like it could, it could like change some perceptions or, or alter kind of like the course of where that story was, was headed. And so, you know, the team ultimately stayed, they ended up building a new arena and, and, you know, they're there for years to come. So it's, and I was lucky enough to actually come back for the inaugural season and work for the team again um, and be there during that, that opening season. So yeah, between the two, it was probably, it was probably that, but at the same time, like, you know, working in Las Vegas was, was an experience as well. I mean, just, you know, it's, it's related to travel too. I mean, there's so many people who love to visit Las Vegas. And I also just got a chance to see a different side of Vegas, like the place, the places that people that most tourists don't go to. Most people don't go to downtown Vegas. Most people don't go to Red Rock Canyon and explore um, the hiking trails and the nature and the desert um, that, that, uh, that Las Vegas has. So I was fortunate enough living there for a year to, to see and experience all of that too. I've heard from a lot of people now, uh, and whether that be people I know or listen to podcasts or even... Um, I think I was watching Free Solo or something, and they were talking about living in Vegas or some. You know, some of these people you hear about living in Vegas, and you're listening to people who you don't assume are people who want to be in Vegas for the crazy nightlife, the casinos. And I didn't realize how much opportunity Las Vegas has outside of the crazy Vegas part. You know, the typical Vegas. Uh, of going to the shows and 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 going to the casinos that there's so much to do and see around Las Vegas itself especially from a nature perspective until I started hearing it from people and thinking what you know people I knew like oh I live in Vegas now I moved to Vegas I'm thinking when did you become you know no offense like a degenerate you know or something like that and all of a sudden they're like no 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 Trav you got it all wrong like it's just it's almost like a hidden gem because People go out there for reasons outside of the casinos, and uh, and yet then of course you have all that if if you want it you know if you want to go see a Cirque du Soleil show or a concert obviously stuff is coming through or is there all the time, um, so it's a place that I mean I don't ever envision myself living there. That is to say, I would like to explore more from a bit more of a local perspective because I've only ever done the whole it's three you know three day weekend in Vegas type experience. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, and this is something I've written about on my website. I, I wrote an article about what it's like to live in Las Vegas. Um, and, you know, there are downsides to it, you know, clearly like working in nightlife. Look, <laughs> you're going to run into superficial people. There are a lot of like people who are just all about their looks, all about status, all about, you know, things that are very inconsequential in, in the long game of things, right? But at the same time, like you said, I, like you mentioned, you have friends out there. Vegas is, is a good place. It's actually like a really good place to set up shop. If you were running like an online business 
that generated a significant amount of revenue. You know, Nevada doesn't have any state income tax. I mean, the most of its taxes are generated through the casino and hotel industry. So there's there's a lot of tax breaks there, obviously, which is enticing to people who run businesses. And then it's proximity too. You know, Vegas is only a three or four hour drive to Los Angeles, three or four hour drive to, to San Diego, an hour flight to both. Same thing to San Francisco. It's only an hour flight to San Francisco. So let's say you're doing business in San Francisco. Now you don't have to deal with the prices and the high cost of living in the Bay Area. You're in Las Vegas. You're able to afford something much better um, for, for what you have financially. So, and again, like you said, there's just a lot more to Las Vegas than than just the strip. It's funny because when you when you don't live there, you think of how massive. Like the strip looks massive, right? Because these these buildings, these casinos are just gigantic. But then when you do live there, you realize like how small of a portion that is, and how small of a slice that actually is of the city, and that there's so much more. I mean, another thing too, I'd add is like Vegas has like a pretty burgeoning restaurant scene. There are a lot of good restaurants off the strip that have been popping up throughout the last few years. I know a bunch that have come up since since I left. Um, I have friends who still live there, obviously, and they tell me like, yeah, there's a lot of good places to eat here. So it's, Vegas is a cool place. Like if you if you want to explore beyond the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, I I have this dream, and whether it comes to fruition or not, I, I mean it can. Like I can make it happen. So it's on me, of of picking places and living there for a month or two, and just coming up with this fun hit list of places. Like for example, New York City. I know that I don't want to live forever in New York City. I've I've spent enough time there to know that I wouldn't want to live there forever, but would I want to be there for a month or two and and experience it as a tourist, but also then a little bit as a local, like shift that paradigm just a touch by being there long enough to 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 kind of see the day to day? Yeah. Would Vegas be one of those places? Yeah. Like there are there are definitely places around the US and, and certainly around the world, and, and we'll get to your travels because you're kind of starting to do that, where it's neat to say, I'm gonna be here for a month or two. To really get a feel, and and certainly you won't get as good enough of a feel as someone who's grown up there for sure, but you're there long enough that you know it more than just as a tourist and more than just someone passing by. And yeah, Vegas in an interesting way is on that hit list of mine for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Hey, cool, the strip's here. Let me actually see real Vegas. And I think there's there's probably a few other places around the world that get these preconceived notions about them for, for reasons that make sense or stereotypes but then when you dig a little deeper you're like hey this is nothing like it like you don't have to ever hit the strip if you live here and yet you still have a vibrant community a vibrant city and things like that so then what made you leave so we're talking 2016 i think you went back then to work for the nba right and you were saying yeah again a a dream job i mean we have similar interests and passions and i know for me from a sports marketing background and going to get my master's, I always had visions of, of working in sports because I loved it so much. And and I never ended up really taking that on because I, I didn't want to start at the bottom. But you have this kind of dream gig. You love covering the NBA. You love the Kings. You know, you're running a, a blog that's successful and all that. But you say, all right, I'm going to I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to go off and I'm going to to travel. 
kind of indefinitely and kind of with maybe no real plan of what this is going to look like. Why? Why did you do that? Yeah, so, you know, to rewind a little bit too, I, I left a job in, in Las Vegas um, and then decided to travel uh, for 2016, seven and a half months. I, I finally, like I said, I, that seed was planted in my mind from reading Vagabonding and I kind of got to this point where I'm like, okay, I don't really have any new job prospects. I'll give myself like a couple months to look for a new job, but if it doesn't pan out in three months or so, then I'll start to focus on this and like try to make this traveling thing, traveling sabbatical that I ended up taking a reality. And so I did that and I bought a one-way ticket to Stockholm, Sweden and and uh, you know, shout out to Norwegian Airlines because they're super cheap flying from Oakland straight to Stockholm for like $165 or something like that. Uh, that was great. <laughs> That's a route um, right there. Oakland to Stockholm, yeah. right? One that probably no one yeah. imagined would ever be a reality. Yeah. So, and so I went to Europe and, you know, it opened it. I mean, like everyone told me too, and you know, this from traveling so much as well. And just the conversations that you meet with other travelers, like a lot of people told me like, this is going to change you. And it did change me. Like I, I, my personality is so much more different than um, it was before I went on that trip. You know, I was able to gain this sense of awareness of like these moments that were so, that were fleeting, but like so special when they were happening. Because oftentimes I think when we're going through life, we, we have these moments that are like, oh, this is incredible, but you don't, you're not even aware of it until it's over. Whereas when I was traveling, like there was something that would just go off when, like, for example, I was in Bosnia and I was staying at this hostel in Sarajevo and two of the women who worked there became friends of mine. Um, and they invited me and a couple other um, visitors to the hostel to come hang out with them on their day off at a lake, at like a local lake. Like you wouldn't even know of this lake if you didn't you know, no locals, right. And people from Sarajevo. And, and I just remember, I, even as I tell you about it right now, I can vividly remember like what it looked like, um, and just the sites and just getting to spend time with them. And I remember being there and having conversations with them and thinking to myself, oh yeah, this is one of those moments. Like, this is one of those moments that you are never going to forget. You know, just, it's a very special moment. Um, and so, you know, I had many of those happen to me on, on that trip. And then as it was coming to an end, I had, you know, started to look around and think, okay, what do I want to do next? Now, like, I'm going to go back to the States. I guess I might find another job or I had this inkling to like do my own thing, but I had this opportunity to go back to the NBA. Like my old colleagues who worked for the Kings, who I've maintained good relationships with, to this day, they some of them reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in coming back and rejoining their team in a different role because um, they were expanding their their digital team and you know with the new arena and obviously um, you know the Kings they 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 needed some more help with content creation so I thought about it I evaluated it talked to a couple different people but you know at the end of the day I, I took the job and I was I was on the fence about it, to be honest. And, and like you were saying too, like people, this is a dream job. Like 
you know, there are only 30 of these teams in the entire world. And so that means there's only 30 of these departments that work in digital. It's much like the, you know, the color commentator or the play-by-play job. Like there are basically, what, 30 play-by-play TV jobs There's and 30 radio play-by-play jobs. That's 60 jobs in the entire world. If you land one of those jobs, you are the elite of the elite, right? It is a dream job. But for me, I, I was on the fence about it because I knew how hard that job was and how hard it was, how much of a grind it was to, to work in that industry. And I had reservations about, you know, whether or not I wanted that lifestyle again. Um, because it, it was, I, I kind of equated it to being like a doctor, except no lives are actually saved. I'm always on call, but you know, if somebody gets traded or somebody gets waived or a coach gets fired, you're always on call to like be ready to do something. But you know, it's, it's not right. Like surgery, it, it's fun, like but you certainly don't have control of your time. Like, even though you like it and you enjoy it because of, because you enjoy what is happening, the NBA itself, your colleagues, you're missing a huge component, which is, Hey, this is taking over my life. And even, and which is interesting. Cause I think a lot of times people say, well, I just want a job that I love, but there's just loving the work isn't doesn't mean you'll always love the job i guess is the point i'm trying to make because there's other parts around it like having time off being able to recharge maybe getting to go on vacation or taking time off to travel you were essentially didn't have that so even though you loved the work prospect itself you didn't necessarily love the job but you went back and i remember i think this is when we kind of first started talking and and getting to know each other where you're in this limbo of I, I'm going to go back, but I don't know. I I don't know if this is going to be forever. And so, like, walk us through how that went because that that's a tough thing, right? Like, you you want to go back and be like, oh yes, I'm so excited for this opportunity, but then you know, on the other side, there's this travel that you did that had changed you, like you mentioned. Yeah, like you know, everybody goes through it. They go through reverse culture shock when they come back from a long trip. And I anticipated that. I didn't really know how that would feel. I just knew that it was coming. And, you know, again, I love my old coworkers there. I I have lunch with them every time I'm like back in Sacramento. But at the same time, you know, the conversations in the office were about things that I'm like, this is not important. (laughs) Like in terms of the the grand scheme of life, like, you know, I just didn't really, I didn't have the same interests at times that, you know, people would want to talk about. And obviously I felt like out of place, you know, when, when all your colleagues are talking about copying like the newest Yeezy boots, Adidas shoes for $350, you're sitting there thinking, I could spend $350 and probably just fly round trip to Europe on that, you know, rather than buy a pair of shoes, you know? And again, no disrespect to anybody who likes fashion and shoes. That's, that's okay. But for me, I knew that wasn't something that I cared about. And so there was just this feeling of, I'm kind of out of place here. Um, And I was getting overwhelmed. Like I was very anxious actually, like during that time. And I felt a lot of like, shame too and regret about that because you know these guys came to me these are my friends that I've known for for more than a decade you know my my 
my old boss, like I was his first intern <laughs> and now he's the vice president of, 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 uh, content and communications there within the organization. Um, and so I would felt like when I started to waver on my commitment to be there, I felt like I was letting them down, you know, and that's a hard thing. And I think a lot of other people feel that too, when they, you know, they're, considering leaving a job, especially if they have relationships, good relationships with the people that they work with is like, you feel this guilt, you feel this shame, like, you know, am I letting these people down? And fortunately, like I had, I was able to have open conversations with them about that. And they, they encouraged me. They were like, look, man, like, we don't want you to be miserable here. Like, if you aren't feeling this, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, don't feel like you have to stay here. And I felt very grateful for that, you know, at, at the same time, too, to be honest with you, Travis, like that, I didn't even really get over that until like December of last year, you know, and that was already like a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. A year and a half yeah. after you decided to leave until you kind of came to peace with, with feeling okay with it, even though, even though they told you it was cool, you, you couldn't kind of get through it. Yeah, and because there were also other things at work at that time, other factors at play. Um, you know, I had, you know, when we started talking, that was, you know, right around the time that um, I left. I left the job and I started doing freelance work. And then, you know, the freelance, the freelance world, like as many people who probably listen to this podcast experience at times, like it dries up. <laughs> and my work started to dry up like quite a bit last year. Uh, right around the time that I got to Columbia in May. And there are many times where not only when it dried up, but when I couldn't like land, where I was having trouble like landing new clients, where I felt like I would look back and say, did I make the right decision? You know, did, should I have left that job? You know, because it was a great opportunity in the, the one sport that you love. You know, that's my number one sport is basketball in the NBA, the highest of the high, right? You know, but so I have many times where I, you know, where when things weren't going well for me, where I was like, yeah, I don't know if I made the right decision or not, you know, and it, it was, it was hard like to, to, to kind of deal with that. How did you get past that? Because now we've, we've kind of fast forward, you left the job, you started traveling. And so you're traveling, but you now know this trip is going to be different than the sabbatical you took for seven and a half months because in your head, you're thinking, all right, I've made a break. Like, I'm not going to go back, you know, this time. Like, this is going to be my new life. I'm going to travel. I'm going to be a digital nomad. I'm going to be location independent. And the novelty starts wearing off as the clients start drying up. And all of a sudden, you're in the situation where you think, all right, I've made a commitment to myself to do this and, and told other people but now I'm just, I'm at a loss of what to do. Walk us through how you were able to get past that and now what it looks like, you know, a, a year from that kind of situation where you were last year when you were saying, man, did I make the right decision? Am I, am I an idiot? Did I give up my dream job to chase this thing that I'm not even going to be able to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because when I when I think back to it, um, like I said, my confidence started to waver and I definitely started to like, look back at opportunities that were location dependent again. You know, I had reached out to some people that I knew 
back in sports, actually, for a couple of opportunities that, you know, were in Los Angeles. I even reached out to an old boss of mine in Las Vegas and thought about moving back to Las Vegas and working in the hospitality industry again. Um, and none of those panned out for me. If they had um, panned out, uh, if they had panned out, do you think you would have taken them? Yeah, the one job that I definitely would have taken was the one in Las Vegas. Okay. Um, you know, that was that was the one where I felt like I would be going back to work with somebody that I I trusted. Um, you know, <laughs> funny thing though, like she actually now no longer works for the company <laughs> that she that she was uh, you know, uh referred me to and was kind of suggesting that I I I I come and work for her at um, so, you know, again, kind of looking back at history, it's like, oh, maybe it, maybe it worked out for me. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, going through that and then also too, like Columbia, right? Like one of the reasons why I, I went there was for that long was, I know that I'm at this stage where I don't want to do what I did my first time I traveled, you know, in the seven and a half month trip, the first two months, I think I went to like 12 countries in Europe. You're just kind of like on a blitz, you know, you're like so energized. You're so hyped. You're meeting all these people. You're going from hostel to hostel and having all these conversations. Your people are opening up to you and telling you things that, you know, you don't have these kinds of conversations with people. So you're, you want more of that. Like it's kind of working at a subconscious level. So that's kind of like your fuel to keep going, keep pushing. And so you know, I, 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 during that trip, I went to 21 different countries in that seven and a half month period, right? And I knew, like, I wanted to travel again and see the world still, but I didn't want to go this, like, you know, really fast-paced approach that I was on before. Um, but ironically, like, I was doing it again when I when I started freelancing. Like, I, you know, I I didn't leave California for like a couple months after I you know, left the MBA job with the exception of like a, a brief trip to Canada. Uh, but I stayed until like the fall in, in the States. And then I went on, you know, a slew of like one month trips where like I went to Costa Rica and lived there for a month then came back home for the holidays, then left and went to South Africa for a month and then came back to the States, stayed in Tennessee for a couple of weeks to visit a friend and and family there and then went back to California. But then even when I was in California, I wouldn't stay in the Bay Area where I'm from. I would go down to LA and meet up with like business contacts or friends, friends out there in Los Angeles or San Diego. And then I would go back to the Bay Area for like two seconds and then fly to Japan or China. I flew to China first and was in Beijing for two weeks um, and Xi'an for, for a week. And then, and then off to Japan for three weeks. And then, so I was still kind of, even though I told myself like, you know, we all do this. We all say like, we, we, we shouldn't be doing these things. And then we end up doing them. Yep. Um, guilty, guilty over here. I shouldn't travel as fast as I do. And then all of a sudden look at me wanting to go everywhere. Right. Exactly. So like, I think that was still just me having to get that out of my system for sure. Um, but ironically, like when I arrived in Colombia, that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, bunker down here and like, you know, I'll be able to focus on all these people that I'm working for now. And then lo and behold, like my workload starts dropping. <laughs> so, so right when you thought, okay, I'm going to take this, like, I can take this seriously. I can really dive in. I can make this a legit business. I'm not kind of going to tread water because I'm traveling around so quick. 
that's when everything dries up. Why was that? Like, was there anything that was in your control or was it just an external factor? Hey, this had nothing to do with me. No, I think it was an external factor. I think some of the clients, and again, I have good relationships with with uh, the ones who, who left me. So I still talk to them over email and stuff like that and, and help them out in ways. And they've helped me out in ways since since I've I've left them. Um, but it was just like, you know, it's just, it's just business. It's just budget constraints. And, you know, like the first thing that, you know, a lot of businesses can cut are the freelancers, you know, because there's, there's no benefits to be paid there and whatnot. Um, so that was it. It was nothing personal or anything like that. But like I said, I, I started to, to look at these opportunities and kind of second guess whether or not I could make this lifestyle work. Um, but then I also then came to this conclusion, like, dude, you, you left that job in the MBA to go build something yourself. You have not done that. You left it. You said you wanted to go and build something for somebody for, for yourself. And you're not doing that, you know, and credit to you. Like I, you know, one of the great things, uh, you know, shout out to location indie, like the community that you and, and Jason run, like, you connected me to somebody who's been a friend of mine and a mentor to me now for like the last two years in Ray Blackney. Um, you know, he's, and he posed that question to me, like at the very beginning, he posed it to me like many other times. He's kind of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi or something to me. I don't know. Uh, but he, he would always ask me like, but why are you so focused on doing this thing where you're trying to, build somebody else's business rather than try and do something yourself. And I, I kind of was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not ready yet. You know, I push it aside, but you know, I don't think it's like what you, you end up finding out for yourself, what everybody else has already learned, right? Like you're never ready until you just do it. <laughs> you know, you're always never not going to be ready to do something. You need to just do it. And so for me, like I had those experiences where those jobs didn't necessarily work out. And I started to think about, okay, well, what should I do? Like, let me try to actually like build something now. So I actually started coming up with some various different ideas and I thought some of them were solid. And now I needed to get to this phase where I needed to test them. I needed to validate them because I wasn't going to go in and just be like, oh, hey, here's the business idea. Now I'm going to get a, a business license and an LLC and, and actually invest all this money into creating a prototype for this without even finding out if there was actually a demand for the product or service that I was creating. So I had this idea to like run uh, ads essentially to, to, to test like minimum viable products behind some of these ideas that I had, you know, maybe create some, some, some landing pages with the theoretical, theoretical product or service, pitching it, and then seeing, you know, if I could get signups or anything like that. And, and, and if there, if there were enough, then I could move forward with the actual production stage of, of the product. But Ray, when I talked to him, I talked to Ray basically, you know, almost every month or so for an hour, and he had some good feedback. He suggested to me, he's like, look, you know, what you're trying to do is a good idea, but the budget that you're trying to run with it is probably not going to get you enough data. If you're going to run like a $50 ad to try and, and, and validate an idea, you're not going to reach enough people to, to do that. So here's what you do. Here's what you can do. You have a personal website, right? I say, yeah. 
Like, well, why don't you write articles um, about the uh, some of the ideas that you have, but make them target certain keywords that people are searching for on Google that have high search volume? I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's actually a pretty good because because when you can rank on Google, it's organic, it's organic search, it's free, it's unpaid. The only thing that you have to pay um, is your time just to potentially get there. Um, and at the same time, too, I also wanted to get back into writing, kind of get back into my roots of being a storyteller, of being a journalist. And, you know, one of the things when I was a journalist that was so tough was having to cater to the 24 hour news cycle. I could write like a pretty good, like 500 to 1000 word piece, but it would be toast after 24 hours. Whereas this approach that I'm doing now with my website where I write articles, I, you know, I don't get much traction for them right now other than from my distribution from my own social media channels. But long term, if it can work out and I start to rank for some of these keywords that I am targeting, then, you know, I could potentially have, you know, a good amount of passive traffic flowing in to my website um and potentially like an audience a segmented audience for different topics and ideas that I could pitch specific and relevant products and services to I, I love that because you came up with this idea of saying all right I'm not gonna pay to to check this idea at first but I I'm gonna take my talents which is writing and, and stuff that you know build something for yourself which I think is a big differentiator that people need to, come to a conclusion on or or at least think about and maybe their conclusion changes like you were hey i'm gonna freelance i'm gonna do stuff to make money i'm gonna you know that's gonna be my path forward wait a second i want to build something on my own and it's totally fine to switch in between those and even do both at the same time depending on on how much time you have to do that but then for you what does it look like because you talked about long term but what does it look like on the short term of saying all right, I've come to this realization that I want to build something on my own. And that's neat because if it if it works, then you know, that's because of me. And if it doesn't, that's fine. It's a learning experience and and you and you change and you try something new. But in the short term, you're sitting there thinking, "All right, I have to make money though. Like if I want to continue this lifestyle, I have to make money." So how are you balancing that? So, the fortunate thing for me is and I know there are a lot of people out there who aren't in that position, but I do have quite a bit of money saved up. And that was another thing that I had to get over. And I think that many people listening to this show will will relate to this, like just issues with, with money, like fears about money. And I kind of grew up with this sense of, I don't think I can control <laughs> money. You know, like I didn't have this sense that money was something that you could manage and and maintain yourself. I kind of felt like, you know, it it was something that was out of your control. As you know, even when I say that now, that just sounds like totally irrational to me. But I read a book actually. It's pretty popular, um, financial, personal finance book called Your Money or Your Life back in December, and there was a chapter there about jobs and and work and you know, there's there's definitely like a lot of debate you were alluding to it earlier about, you know, chasing your passion and making your passion, your, 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 your source of income and things like that. Um, but 
that that chapter did a really good job of distinguishing the difference between uh you know it's not necessarily so bad to work for money if you manage your time in a way where you have the time to still do your passions because your passions may not necessarily make you any money you know it's and, all and about you may not want management. them to right like there's a point that exactly. you might not want your passion to make you money because you're doing it because it's a hobby and you don't want it to have the financial stress behind it yeah and i'm definitely like a proponent of this notion of it's very like zen ish you know just the idea of impermanence and change in life you know and I think that's something we we get too attached to, like, where we are in our situations in life. Like, you know, a lot of people feel like when they're in their jobs, like, I'm trapped in this job. It's like, no, you're not. Like, even if you work in that job the traditional way for 30, 40 years, you're going to eventually retire or you'll die. You know, whatever comes first, but it eventually will come to an end. Like, nothing is actually forever. You know, the con- the concept of something being forever is there, but it's not, you aren't actually in something permanently. And so when you kind of, and it takes practice, that's another thing too that I've, I've learned to focus on more within the last year or so of my life. And, and, and I continue to try and get better at that because I'm not perfect at it. It's just, it's a continuous process. It's like, just practicing to have that mindset of like detach, don't get so emotionally attached to what's going on in your mind and how you perceive a situation. Because again, those, those moments come and pass, you know, like when I was in that, when I went back to the NBA, that, that's those six months back in, in the league felt like forever, but the five months in Columbia, meanwhile, shorter than my time back in the NBA felt like nothing. Right. It was, and they, and they all, they both came to an end. So, you know, it's just, again, being able to not attach so much to, to those situations and, and realize, look, you know, life is malleable. Things can change and, and you can embrace that. You know, you can either avoid that or you can embrace that and use that to your advantage. And so you've come to the conclusion then, hey, I want to build something on my own. And 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 then I guess you had to work through that idea. And it sounded to me like with the money thing that your hesitation was dipping into your savings. Was that it? Like saying like, here's my nest egg. This is my fallback. If I dip into this, I'm a failure almost. Like Or, or like if I start to see it going down, it's going to make me so anxious that I'm not going to be able to do anything. And it seems like you came to realize that, Hey, these savings, the stuff that I've done, like I've worked and I've saved money for this reason, like giving yourself permission to say, yeah, I don't want to blow through all my savings. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be crazy, but is the reason why I'm dipping into it worth it? And for you, it seems like the answer right now is yeah, it is because I'm getting to experience life and I'm getting to build something that I want to build as opposed to just chasing something to keep a bank account at an arbitrary number yeah it's different it's totally different from like last year when i was at this point and i was in columbia kind of like what am i doing (laughs) you know like where i was kind of lost a bit at that point right um whereas now i have this thing where i'm like okay i'm investing in this i'm trying to see if it works you know regardless of whether it is successful if people if i can generate you know, the audience for it, the, the, the traffic for it, um, or, or not like 
I am in this and I, and it feels good to actually have an asset where it's like, Oh, I can control this, you know, like I can control this with my effort at least. Like, you know, I, I know that I have to write these articles that are very thorough and in depth and post them consistently every week. You know, I have to hold myself accountable to that. That's fully within my control. It's not like, you know, what we were talking about with the NBA where, DeMarcus Cousins gets traded in the middle of the NBA All-Star game and you have to change your whole plans of coverage for, for the weekend, you know, and like that's something that's totally out of your control and you have to adapt to that. So, yeah, it's definitely, it, I think this this sense of like ownership of something like makes me, is, 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 it definitely is giving me like confidence and it's also giving me some courage to just keep trucking forward here seems too that it's giving you a bit of relief coming to the realization that hey okay I'm going to try to build something I'm going to put this amount of time into it now now do you have and I guess that's a question too is do you have a a timeline or an end goal or a number in mind when it comes to to your bank account or something like that to say all right I've given myself permission to build up this site, I know it's going to take time. I know I'm going to put the effort in, but is there a a stop? Is there a hey, in one year if it doesn't hit this, I'm going to reconsider or if my bank account gets to this number, I'm going to reconsider or do you have it a little more open-ended? Yeah, definitely like for for me now when it comes to the experiment of whether or not I can generate the traffic through organic search through this, you know, I'm I'm waiting to see within 6 months or so like what kind of rankings I get because you know, from the things that I've learned about search engine optimization that that's kind of the standard timeline for when things start to if it's good, really good content, it starts to rank. Um and you know, again, reading from, there's some really great resources out there. I got to, you know, shout them out. Like Hrefs is one of the top SEO um, software as a service platforms in terms of doing keyword research. Um, there's a young guy, his name is Nat Eliason, who um, he runs a marketing, a content marketing agency called Growth Machine. And he, he actually, you know, was somebody who sparked this idea in me. I read his personal blog which he built through search engine optimization, talking about this very topic. Yeah, um, and Nat, Nat has and, been a part of the Paradise Pack two years ago, and he actually was the person that we brought on to help us start the Location Indie blog. And I will tell you that he knows if you're looking to do this and you're looking to get into SEO and content writing and building up either your own resource, like a personal site like John's, or you know, or a niche site on a specific topic, doesn't matter whether you're looking to build a website, Nat 100% knows his stuff and, and has the chops to back it up both with his own site and then the sites he's built for other people as well. And I want to throw one more resource out there too. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Matt Giovanisi, who some of you guys may have heard of before on the podcast or, or anything like that, runs a site called moneylab.co and uh, also has a course called SEO for bloggers and affiliate marketing for bloggers. And that is... If you're interested in this, those are two of the best resources you can start with. Um, whether you're just reading their personal sites for free, whether you decide to invest in a course, whatever, they are worth their weight in gold for sure because these are people who have done it. And 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 speak, I think, too, John, from a perspective of not like on high, right? They're not like, oh, I've done it and, 
and I'm making decrees. It's like they continually try different things because they know it's an mm-hmm. ever-changing game. Yeah, no, and yeah, Matt is definitely somebody who I've read his work as well and seen what he's and studied some of the things that he's been able to build, the assets he's created and, and even sold. Um, so yeah, he's like a really good resource as well for anybody that is interested in this stuff. But like you said, yeah, it's it's an ever-evolving thing because, you know, Google, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, these platforms are not they're they're not static. They're always trying to improve and get better. You know, they they take a lot of heat obviously right now for for some of the 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 troubles that I think the world has been facing, but at the same time, you know, that with that like they know that they have to grow and 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 keep getting better themselves. Their algorithms have to keep changing. So, you know, what worked and and Ray is Ray has also been a great resource to me because he built his business essentially through through uh, search engine optimization, um, and so you know he the way he was doing things when he started say ten years ago this evolved you know there are certain principles that are definitely the same but there's a lot of things that have evolved in that time so you know you always have to keep it's like, again going back to that idea of like impermanence right you have to keep adapting got to keep Keep changing. Otherwise, if you don't want to change, you're going to get left behind in the times. Because that's the world that we live in now. You know, you and I are having this conversation. You are at home in Philadelphia. I am halfway across the world in Bali, Indonesia. And I see you much clearer than I would, you know, watching a TV show back in 1993 on my television set. You know, like you're in high definition and you're the, your voice quality the audio quality is much better than like a long distance phone call that would have cost us like a thousand dollars for the hour or so that we've been on chatting thus far, you know? So technology, we all, we all have to keep adapting and keep changing because if we don't, you know, we're going to be left behind. Yeah. I think that's one of the keys to your story is this idea. And, and why I love chatting with you, John, is that you have adapted and you haven't been afraid to say, Hey, I felt this way. Like I, if I would have, and I think that was really telling when you said, if one of those jobs had panned out when you were sitting a year ago in Columbia, you would have taken it. And it didn't, right? And, you know, we can say, some people say it's fate. Some people, you know, say it it was meant to be, whatever. But you just said, all right, that didn't happen. Let me look at the situation I'm in. Let me, you know, continue to talk to a mentor and Ray, who you met through LI. Let me adapt. All right, now I'm going to adapt out of the freelance world into building something on my own. If this doesn't work out, let me adapt again. And and just this idea of I'm going to try it and I'm I'm going to have fun with it. That doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfect. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to doubt myself, as you've been really open about. But it does mean I think that you've come to a spot where you're saying. This is an experiment. This is fun. You know, and I have to live in the moment a bit because here I am in Bali. And if I'm only worried about did I make the wrong decision or hey, a freelance client dried up, if I'm only worried about that and only focused on that, I'm going to miss the fact that I'm actually here in Bali getting to be at a co working space one minute from the beach. And so you have to figure out a way to come to terms with that. And, and again, it's, it took me a long time to do that too. And, I, and it, uh, this idea of adapting, it doesn't mean that I've come to terms with it and now I'm good. Oh, and I'm so enlightened and every day I'm like, oh, well, I'm just exactly where I want to be. There's always going to be this time to sit there and say, all right, let me con- constantly reconsider 
everything that's going on and make sure I feel comfortable with where I am. And and it seems like you've gotten to a pretty good place recently with that, with saying, I'm comfortable with where I am. That doesn't mean I'm just going to sit on my laurels, but I, I, I have a bit of a relief to me, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, you know, this idea of actually like knowing yourself. I mean, I think it's also just, maturity as well as you get older i think you know i'm now in my early 30s when i was in my 20s i think your 20s are all about just trying to like strive and like prove to people that you are capable you know you're trying to prove to like the adults in the room that you belong there too you know when i was starting out my career that's how i felt a lot of times like i felt like the kid in the room but i wanted to show like look i'm a professional like i may look super young but I belong here. But at the same time, it's just, you're not going to get that same reassurance. You're not always going to get that reassurance or that pat on the back of like, oh, you're doing a good job. You know, it's it's not like elementary school anymore, you know, and you only learn that through experience, you know, in in your career and in life. And so it's, for me, it's getting to this point now where it's like, this is a competition with nobody but yourself. You know, this is a game. This is an infinite game that you're playing where the object being that it is an infinite game is just to keep the game going. There are no winners and losers. It's just, can you keep this game of life going? Because really, like, you know, this is I'm not trying to be morbid here, but like the ultimate outcome in our life is death. You know, that's it. You know, and that's why people, not just with careers, this is why people want to go out and travel. This is why people want to go out and explore the world and, and they feel and they want to find meaning in their life, you know, is because they, 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 they want to do this. They want to play that infinite game, but a lot of times people end up scared to do that. Um, and, but it takes time and a lot of it is, yeah, it takes time and it's practice. It's, it's practicing the mindset. You know, I, I look at it just like, you know, people go to the gym when the new year rolls around, right? To lose weight. And after a week, they give up when they haven't lost 20 pounds. You know, you, it took you like 10 years to put on those, those pounds, right? You can't expect to lose the weight in, in, you know, in the first week, it's the same thing with like practicing mindfulness and, and being aware and living your life in the moment. Like you have to actually like practice that, that technique and that skill, constantly of like being aware you know again they're going back to what i was talking about with my first travel travel taught me this level this higher level of awareness of life that i hadn't experienced before but then i wanted to get to a point where like well how how do i activate that without having to just always go on a trip somewhere you know is there a way that i can influence that myself and for me it was you know going in and starting to be much more mindful of a person and actually practicing those skills, things like meditation and stuff, you know, like I'm a big advocate for those things. I don't, I don't try to like preach it to people because I know some people are kind of like, Oh, that's a little woo woo for me. I'm not into that. But you know, for me, it's, it's, it's just like going to the gym, you know, I'm training my mind versus, you know, training my body. Yeah. Speaking of being aware and unaware, I want to, leave everyone with this. I want to ask you your biggest travel mishap because you mentioned you're in 21 countries in seven and a half months on that first trip. You've now since, you know, in the last year and a half, spent time in Colombia, you're there in Southeast Asia. 
I'm sure there's been a few things that have come up that might have uh, been categorized as mishaps. What is one that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, you know, like I'm a knock on wood here. Like the desk in this in this room has is is made of wood. I haven't had anything like terrible happen to me in in my three years of trying. I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful for that. I've never had my my stuff stolen. I've never um, lost my passport or anything like that. I mean, the worst thing that happened to me really like happened yesterday when I was <laughs> I was sitting on the beach here, actually like not far from the co-working space. I, I decided to drive my my moped down here and like try to watch the sunrise. I was up early enough and do a little morning meditation. Um, and then I was going to do some reading and stuff like that. Um, and I was sending somebody, uh, a friend of mine, like a direct message on Instagram, a picture of myself on the beach. And then as I was doing that, the tide came in and just washed away like my bag, which had my Kindle in it and my, and my portable keyboard. So fortunately my Kindle, I think it still works. I have it in a bowl of rice. I don't know how you know, that how, how well that's going to work out. It's just kind of one of those things you've heard work. So let's try it. But my keyboard is, is done. Uh, and my bag got super soaked. My towel got soaked, my, you know, it, it was full of sand and everything. So that was probably like off the top of my head, just cause it was so recent. That's actually like the worst thing that I can remember that's happened to me this far, but nice, nice. it's not really that bad. No, those things are a, a tough, tough life looking at the sunrise in Bali, Indonesia, right? When when your bag gets gets taken away and, and your keyboard's busted and hopefully the Kindle, the bag of rice thing I've heard works. It worked for a phone of mine. It didn't work for a whole laptop of mine when coffee got spilled on it. So uh, fingers crossed there that your Kindle is okay, man, and that, and that the bowl of rice trick helps dry that out and, and your electronics isn't fried. But I just appreciate you coming on, John. What do you have coming up in the pipeline that that people should be aware of, whether you have some cool stuff that you're going to be writing on your site, whether you have some interesting travels? What are you excited about? Yeah, so I'm pretty much going to be here in Bali until I have I have a visa until November. So I'm 99% sure that I'm going to be staying here in Bali until that time. Um, and then I'll probably go back to Vietnam for my final month here in Southeast Asia before going back to the States for, uh, for the holidays. Um, so, you know, if there's any listeners out there who are like in here in Bali or want to hang out, like you can reach out to me, like, I'm sure you'll link my website in the show notes. So you can hit me up there on social media. Um, you know, and, I, I love meeting up with people, you know, I, I, I'm not in LI right now, but like when I was like, I was pretty active and trying to engage with people, not only online in the community, but like in person and like some really good friends came from that, you know, um, you know, like Greg and, and, and Alyssa Jackson, who, um, you know, I ended up meeting in Columbia. Um, so I definitely like to meet other travelers and definitely would love to meet other people who, who listen to uh, your podcast. And as far as like what's going on, other things that are coming up, you know, I've got a couple of articles, you know, down the pipeline um, here that I'm working on, um, you know, but I've got some, I got some good content up right now, things about travel. I wrote a post about minimalist travel. I've, I've wrote some things about Colombia as well. So for anybody that 
is interested in learning some insights specifically about, say, like Medellin or how to travel with basically like one backpack, like I've written about that on my website, which you can visit. Awesome. Yeah. And it's true because I'd always get pings from John. Not not always. Like every month or two or three, I'd get a ping and there he'd be with another member of LI. And I'm like, man, this guy's doing a great job meeting up with people because you were, you were out and about um, meeting up with other members. So yeah, if you guys are interested, we'll link everything in the show notes. Just remind people, John, where they should go to access your site. And if they do want to contact you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah. So my site is just Santiago's.space. So S-A-N-T-I-A-G-O-S dot space. No www is required. Um, and then you can reach me on social media if you want to on Instagram. My Instagram handle is John Tiago with a zero instead of an O. Um, and then my Twitter is it's uh, John Santiago. Um, you can reach me there. And then you can also just shoot me an, an email through the contact form on my on my website too. Awesome. We will link all that up in the show notes, guys. John, thank you so much for joining me today, for being so open about your journey, helping people realize that it's okay if you make a decision and you're sitting there thinking, is this right? Is this wrong? It's totally okay to feel that way because a lot of people on this journey are going to, not a lot, everyone, let me, let me put it that way, Everyone will feel that way at some point of, hey, what am I doing? What should I be doing? Is this the right call? And I just appreciate you being so open and honest with that and and with all the stuff that you've done. I, I want to say in your young life, you're not that much younger than me, but in, your, in, in, in like, let's say the last seven, eight years, you've done quite a bit of stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Really appreciate it, John. Don't forget, guys, we'll link everything up in the show notes, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. You can go check out John's site, santiago.space. John, thanks again, man, for coming in uh, from Bali, for taking me on the little journey back to Southeast Asia for about an hour here. And uh, just really appreciate it, man. Take in a sunset for me, all right? Will you do that? Oh, yeah, I actually send you, I should just send you a picture of the sunset I saw last week. There you go. Send me that. Make sure that there's no waves coming in, crashing in, though, as you're doing that. I don't want your phone to get fried as well. Um, awesome. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels, everyone. Happy free travels, everyone.